everybody. Uh, this is the Interjections Podcast. I'm Tristan Moore, and we have with us, as usual, Corey Taylor, uh, James Aaron, Hi. and uh, Jeff Sesselberg. Uh, we are always excited to uh, be talking about the 1990s. We're a podcast that uh, has decided to focus on an undiscovered decade. We were pretty young when these movies started coming out, so as we move along, we'll start to recognize more and more, but for now, we're in May 1990. Well, in May 1990, uh, the prequel to my favorite trilogy came out. Everyone's favorite Western, Back to the Future, Part 3. Uh, the one where Marty and Doc actually have an adventure and go outside of a place where none of them knew were familiar with the area. If you'll remember at the end of Part 2... Yeah, we're probably going to go into the whole trilogy a little bit, right? Yeah. That compared to I mean, you can't talk about three without talking about what led up to it. Mm -hmm. But two and three were actually shot together, um, both for budgetary concerns and to make sure that <clears throat> everything flowed as smoothly as possible. So at the end of two, DeLorean gets struck by lightning and Doc gets sent back to 1885 and kindly requests that Marty doesn't show up and doesn't come back to save him because he's, he's just living his life as a blacksmith in the 1880s. Uh, to which Marty just, you know, ignores it, disobeys. <laughs> yeah, he does it anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's like, whatever, I'm a teenager. I'm going to yeah. go save my friend. Uh, the weird thing is that he's still in 1955. Does he get stuck there? I forget. Because he has to figure out a way either to go home and he chooses to go help him anyway, right? Right. Well, what happened was he went back in, in two because they went back to 1955 to get the book and prevent Donald Trump, I mean, mm -hmm. if, from becoming president. And so they take the almanac they burn the almanac, and then right at that moment, the time machine gets struck by lightning. So he doesn't have a chance to get back to 1985. So A, he needs to get okay. back to 1985. He's stuck there. So at the end of two and beginning of three, he runs back. And, you know, the, the movie opens with him coming back right after it's sent back the first time. And then he runs back in and Doc gets shocked and passes out because he's like i just tell you back he's yeah. like no i'm back again um that is a clever little thing right just yeah it's funny the next morning when he has to go through all these verbal contortions to tell him how many times he's gone like ricocheted back and forth and time he's just like forget it I, yeah yeah i mean it's it's also preceded by my my favorite moment in the trilogy which is like at the end of two when when it's struck by lightning because like you have a minute where suddenly he's gone and then the car shows up with the letter and 70 years one minute like all, all happened in the same time yeah that was really cool it, it was i don't know i still get chills Western Express delivers the letter, right? Um, Joe Flaherty? No, no, it's like a 
Isn't it Joe Flaherty from SCTV? Because like uh, the guy was like, uh, we uh, we have very, very specific instructions to give this to you now. So this exact that. moment. I love, I love that they're like, uh, we had a bet going that this wouldn't even happen. <laughs> yeah. So. Looks like I lost. That's the coolest thing. I was like, that's kind of like a trope. I don't know if that was bef- ever before this in time travel movies, but like, oh, we, we didn't know this was going to happen. We just kind of sat on it. Like, what if they didn't deliver it? What if it like got, it slipped in the cracks and never got delivered? Yeah. Or like, they just were like, this is dumb. 80 years ago, no one's going to care. So. Yeah. Well, it was. You'd really lucky. Yep. <laughs> it, w- it would have ended up in the dead letter place. Yeah, all the These days would end up in Narnia. So, uh, <laughs> Doc Chance Brown, right? But it, um, yeah, so the reason they go back to 1885 instead of just like because the letter contains instructions to make it to get the time machine working again because it's buried in a mine somewhere, so they get that it has instructions to get it working again so that he can get back to 1985. Hmm. But when they're going to find the time machine, they also find Doc's tombstone where it's announced that he was shot in the back by some ancestor of Biff. And that is why he goes back. Yeah. Marty, Marty can't stop himself from saving Doc, even though it's like, maybe he was okay with being in the Wild West. You don't know how long he... Re- well, it says 1885, so he wasn't there that long, I'm guessing. So right. I guess that's why he feels compelled to save his friend, because he has the chance to. He just can't stop himself. Yeah. Because he was only... Because Doc was only killed, like, in October of the same year that he was sent back. Yeah. So he just didn't want to he didn't want him to get shot. He's like, you could have died any other way, but it had to be shot in the back. So you know what I'm going back to Albia. Um I really want to see an origin story about like how those two became friends because yeah. it's just I don't know. Yeah, why is why is a teenage boy who really only has a girlfriend and no other friends hanging out with his old man who everyone said was like a recluse and lives in his parents' garage of the house that burnt down 30 years earlier that never got rebuilt? Like that's a that's an odd ball situation. Like how they even meet. There's so many theories, but the one that I've been going with was that like Lord of Men with Candy. He got a Ambla convention. They met. He got a part-time job as a as a lab assistant or something like he was just in the classifieds. He needed credit, and so he showed up. Oh yes, it's gonna look good on his college papers. Suddenly (laughs) he's trying to fuck his mom. Uh, I felt like Doc worked for a day at an electronics store. Marty went in there to buy a guitar. Hmm. He's like, you want these specifications? And he's like, oh, you're really good with guitars. Maybe I could show you a demonstration sometime. And then he goes to his house. Yeah, that's a good one. <coughs> hmm. Yeah. 
all the fan fiction they could be writing about Back to the Future right now. I know. There probably is fan fiction. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there is. There's comic books and there was the animated series. There was the game. I was going to ask you about that. You played that, right? Yeah. It's basically Back to the Future 4. Like it's. I think Zemeckis and Gale gave the script their blessing. So it's like. But that goes back into you go back into the twenties and you deal with like Strickland's ancestors and things like that. So it's actually it's it's very well done. Hmm. Um, this is perfect timing to be talking about this movie too because they just released the four K of the trilogy. Yeah, well, it's been thirty five years since the first one came out. Yeah, and, and, and we're like, recording this the week of Back to the Future Day when it actually all happens all around October twenty first, right? Yeah, that was the day that they showed up in uh, 2015, mm-hmm. which is now the distant past. Yes, yeah, it's, it's already five years ago mm. that uh, it was future, Back to the Future Part 2 time. Yeah. I always wanted to see what would happen if they had like... I always like to imagine there was like the secret underground group of people that was... You know, they, they saw Zemeckis and Gale's script as like prophecy. And so they kept trying to like do what they could to make sure 2015 in real life matched up with 2015 and in, in the movie. The thing I always hoped was the uh, the baseball game was the Miami Gators and the Chicago Cubs. And in 2016, the Cubs finally won their first World Series in over like 90 years. And there was a Miami team. They just were in the NL too, and famously messed up the Cubs' run in '98, I believe, or no '03 when they won. So, but yeah, it's yeah. it's close, but no cigar. You know? Yeah. It's funny uh, rewatching this movie. Uh, I actually just watched it the other day just for this podcast because um, I hadn't seen it. It's actually it was my least favorite of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's still kind of my least favorite of the three. A- admittedly, I like all three. I think the first one's the masterpiece, yeah. obviously. But um, uh, watching it again, I was starting to get lost world vibes because mm-hmm. it starts off with them sleeping. I was like, oh, am I getting lulled into a, a false sense of comfort here? And then everybody's kind of their personalities are heightened to almost caricature in the first scene. Like when he's telling, uh, when he's talking to Doc and Doc's pressing on the piano keys, it all feels very caricatured. Well, that always bothered me too, because he's like, who's Clint Eastwood? Oh, right. You don't know him yet. And there's a picture of like, Clint Eastwood was around. He was a studio player back then. Like he wasn't famous, famous because he had to kill me still. So he's not like the guy who made Unforgiven. You know, well, once it actually gets to the old west, that's where the movie picks up significantly. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah, I do like that he dresses him in the most ridiculous uh, western costume to go back there, and then and then when Marty meets eighteen eighty five Doc, or at least like his original guy, uh, he's like, "Who dressed you?" Oh yeah, I, li- I actually liked his performance as the uh, Irish settler, Seamus. Yeah, you yeah, Seamus. That was actually something I wanted to ask you guys. I guess we could bring it up now. Um, the whole Crispin Glover question. Now, we know this is why I figured we were going to talk about two a bit anyway. 
he famously turned down reprising his role for the sequels. And so then we were forced to have like the weird upside down dad just for a scene so that they could kind of hide the makeup. You never really see him when they redo scenes in the 1955 area. And then it was pretty obvious that he probably would have played Seamus. And I think that's a little bit of a detriment for me. I would have loved to see Crispin Glover do some West, old West stuff. And it, it ends up being that, um, what's her name? It's Maggie, his mom playing Maggie. Yeah, Lorraine. Her. Yeah, um, she just doesn't do much in the third film. She has much more to do in the second. Each one of the movies is about a different character. So the first one's about Marty. The second one's about, <laughs> I forget his girlfriend's name. Um, uh, Elizabeth Shue. Yeah. And then the third one's about Doc. Right. So, um, Lorraine really never got her own movie in a way. She clearly features in the first two, but I feel like she's given a short shrift because then it's like Michael J. Fox's chance to like do a goofy Irish accent. Well, in the second movie, he plays the daughter as well. <laughs> True. Yeah. So, so there, having yeah. filmed those two back to back is a is a godsend in a way because yeah. then they could complement each other. Yeah. In fact, uh, I really like in the third one. There's growth to his character because he could have just stayed in like Chrysalis after a while. They yeah. could have had nothing to do with his character. But when he gets called out for the um, when they're gonna have the showdown outside, and he just goes, "He's an asshole." I don't need to go out there and have a shootout with him. Yeah. Whereas in the other two movies, if he had called him a chicken or a yellow belly, he'd have automatically went out there and had uh, the showdown with him. How do you guys feel about the whole chicken thing? Because I remember as a kid, I felt like it was a little bit shoehorned in and I didn't realize until rewatching when we were doing it for your birthday, they do do it in the first movie just once. Right. So yeah. it's kind of... Yeah. I guess, I guess um, it's good like as like... <laughs> Because, like, in the first movie, they do it once, and, like, you get a sense that, like, you know, he's a brash teenager. He's going to react like a brash teenager would. And then the second movie, uh, it's what actually gets him in trouble throughout his whole life. Yeah, so it's a, it's, it, be, it, it, be, it goes from, like, a typical teenager to a, a, a per, like a, a character flaw. Yeah. And then, like, uh, the third movie, tri like, it's a trilogy. Like, you got to tie up, tie things up, and, like, you have to grow as a person. Yeah. So, like, finally, he grew as a person. He's like, you know what? this whole ego thing that I got going on right now, too much to handle. Cause like it's a, odd because a whole lot of other things going on and I need to be able to be like a fully developed human being and handle it properly and not react. So like he, uh, he grows. Yeah. So yeah. by the third movie, he doesn't take the bait, even though he's kind of put to the sidelines for uh, the doc Brown and Mary Steenburgen in uh, romance, which yeah. I think is the heart of the movie. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I think it features probably the best climax outside of the first one I mean, because of, the, of the train chase the train chase is great yeah hmm. ends it on a bravura note i um i did want to actually ask about the christmas glover thing the the reason i brought that all up was um would you feel it would have been better to have christmas glover or did it turn out all right in the <clears> end anyway <throat> i think it did I think it turned out great. Um, I mean, because at the end of the day, it's 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 a fun movie, um, and I feel like you know having Michael J. Fox just play all these different characters 
it would I, I, I for some reason knowing it's hard to separate from how I, I know Crispin Glover now <laughs> to, to think that he wouldn't have, like had he done it I feel like he would have taken Seamus in a much darker way agreed mm. yeah like I don't I don't even know how I can't wrap my head around how he would have played it interesting point yeah like that's because he was the reason he kind of turned it all down was he didn't like the ending of the first film and how it kind of like promoted everything works out in the end if you have the things you wanted like money it was was too commercial for him novel yeah so he was like anti-capitalist right right anti-materialistic more anti-materialistic that would would, would be more and uh, so the irony is that like the big deal in two is that marty fucks up because he's got all the material goods he's kind of an asshole and so it's kind of playing on what chris mcglover had told gail and zemeckis so um he might have been good as a, a put upon irish immigrant who knows yeah like, it's, it's kind of just a what if i like yeah mike's uh mustache so and then years later apparently chris mcglover and zemeckis made amends because he is in uh beowulf oh okay i didn't know that that's true but i think he still has issues with bob gale sure i think it's more gale <laughs> yeah um, I thought the uh, fish out of water references weren't as strong this time around. Oh, like yeah. when uh, when uh, Mad Dog Tannen is shooting at he's moonwalking. Mm. Yeah, that's a and, and the taxi driver scene in the mirror. Mm. Really, I didn't even notice that one. What was that? Was that it's when he's getting ready for the duel. He says, "You I looking at me? You looking at me?" Oh uh, uh, yeah. Just because we watch it back in May, I must have forgotten that little moment. <laughs> so. Interesting. I, well, I, it was it's 1990, the beginning of this like cultural trend where you just obnoxiously make references to like movies prior. Yeah. Like the like the 90s, a little bit of the. Oh, I don't know how bad it was in the 80s, but I know growing up in the 90s, like holy crap, my whole my whole wealth of knowledge with, of movies stems from all these references from like television and other. Well, movies. like Tarantino and Kevin Smith are big on being self-referential. Mm-hmm. so they'll just the do things in pop culture this may be one of the first ones that does it and it's not like heavy yet but this is probably one of the proponents yeah uh, yeah this is probably like, still hey, trying to like hollywood notice something's like hey people really <laughs> like it when we do this let's keep on doing it so yeah. they kept on doing it and like hey, it works for johnny be good beat the well, dead right, johnny right. be good in the first one yeah um, and then huey lewis then, has a cameo yeah, yeah. Oh well, the, the um, yeah, because the moonwalking thing was a little forced, but then they also yeah, uh, they showed the origin of of frisbees. I like that one. I actually like that one. Yeah, and that was around like it was created around then, so it makes sense. Yeah, did their research on that one, as well as the origin story of ZZ Top. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Did you uh, read about how they ended up in the film? Because I, I heard a little bit about it. Uh, um, not the way Aerosmith ended up in Polar Express. Oh, Jesus. Um, apparently, Zemeckis was a big fan of theirs and wanted to do something different from Huey Lewis. And so he got them to do the song. <clears throat> and it happened to be at set. So they kind of, and they were doing the dance anyway. So they're like, why don't we just put you in the background? 
And there was a whole thing where they were like setting up camera still. So ZZ Top started playing mm-hmm. and he like let them go. The camera was ready for a while, but like let them party for a couple hours and just like have an actual dance party on set. So, but they weren't supposed to be in the film. They just happened to come by to like discuss their recording. So, wow. And they're like, well, you're like camera ready. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, just throw an overcoat over you guys, and right. you're already wait. That's like, awesome. no makeup. This is just like, yeah, no, just go. Oh, those beards, man, they yeah. cover up everything. <laughs> so, right. Except Frank Beard, the drummer who has no beard. <laughs> <laughs> you have no beard. I lied. You do. Um, I did like that that dance scene. That's that's pretty good. Where you, I think that's the first time we see Strickland's cameo, where he's the sheriff. Yeah. which makes sense for uh, the principal to be the sheriff in town. Um, and that's really where I think the romance comes together for me with, uh, um, what is her name? It's Clara. Clara. So, because um, she's, she's kind of off put by him at first because they're trying to avoid her because Marty has decided this is why he dies because he stays for Clara. But uh I think I think they're very cute on the dance floor, and and uh, Christopher Lloyd is just beaming the whole time. So I, mm. I really believe it in the dance scene. So yeah, I mean, this is you know, it's Doc's story, like it's it's his. They both have arcs, but this one is actually like a love story for Doc because Marty had the last two movies to fuck up his relationship with <laughs> right. Jennifer. Yeah. And, Back for some you know, this, this time you see Doc in his element because, you know, he sets himself up as a blacksmith and he, like, falls in love with a teacher and it's, like, and even from the beginning of the movie, like, the, the, the music when they're asleep at the beginning is very, like, slow, soft, uh, romantic um and it was and then with with the dance scene and with just everything going on like it's it's a love story it's funny Uh, it's paced in a way where it's like if you watched all three back to back to back it's like at that moment you need kind of like a narrative intermission so you need the energy because the energy is so high at the end of two you kind of need that little bit of rest yeah so yeah when they're taking a nap in the mansion at the beginning of that, it's like you kind of need that for pacing reasons. Yeah. But uh, where could they go if they did a fourth one, do you think? This is all speculation, but... Um, now, I like what actually happens in the game. So I do like... You said it's the 20s? Yeah, they go back to the 20s at one point. Yeah, and, then it, the and then they go to an alternate future. And then I what? Because they, they go back and forth in the game, too. So they go back to the 20s like they're dealing with prohibition era stuff like that. um and like you you see doc at college um and then you also see at, a, at another point they do like um an alternate timeline thing where doc has become instead of inventing the flux capacitor he he creates basically is is this utopian big brother type <clears throat> Hmm. So, yeah, like he he dedicates all of his energy to like bettering 
society that way, but it like goes horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really interesting the way that they go with it. So I feel like that counts as four. But if they did like a separate story, I mean, I would love to see the origin yeah. of the time train. Like Just how, back to 1885? Yeah, because like, <clears throat> at the end of three, there's that big flying train that also has, it's got a hover conversion, it's got the time machine, it's got, like he built this all with 1885 parts, allegedly. Right. And then went to the future and then had kids for, that are now like 12. Like what the hell, like a lot happened in the last two minutes of the movie that we that was never addressed and i'm like i would love to see how all that happened i i kind of just want to see them go on an adventure maybe those kids are older so they're actually good actors but i like mary steenbergen and i love christopher lloyd so i would have liked to see like a doc and clara adventure somewhere in time you don't necessarily need michael j fox and that was actually i think the rumor in the 90s that they wanted to do but obviously that doesn't like i'm happy how it is because then it's preserved pretty perfectly Um, and we get the tv show which kind of does what i would want so i should just i've never watched the animated series i should just watch that yeah i mean the Um, the animated series is they're all going on adventures and you know it's got marty doc clara the kids einstein they're they're all flying around doing stuff so you do get the best of both worlds then yeah you get the best of everything but you still got that slacker marty just like riding doc's coattails um i did want to ask about the ending uh well not ask i had a a thing i i didn't ever think about before but just reading about the trivia and stuff on imdb um I never thought about this. The drag race with needles and party at the end, they had the right of way. So the fact that he hits the Rolls Royce, the Rolls Royce pulls into his lane. He's never at fault. The whole thing where he owes money should never have happened. Like that guy's just an asshole. Well, I think it was also the fact that he broke his hand. Mm. Like that was the, the okay. other. like it might not have ruined him financially, but it ruined his prospects of being a musician, which gotcha. then probably sent him into a deep depression. And so he becomes an asshole. Okay, I never thought of that part either. So, you know, as a kid, I didn't even get what was happening with that whole future thing, because I think I saw three first, which confused me even further. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I see the ending and I'm like, why is he like not drag racing? Who cares? I don't know. I didn't get the chicken thing when I was a kid. Yeah. Much clearer in high school when I finally saw the trilogy in order for the first mm-hmm. time when, I, when we became friends. Yeah, for a movie where they jump around in time, it helps to watch it in order. <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, one of the things that I love about this movie is like, I've always been fascinated with that, that sense, especially in time travel movies, when you go, like you the scenic foreshadowing where you know that something's supposed to be there but it's still starting like in, in the first movie when he goes back to where his house is supposed to be and it's still under construction mm-hmm. you know and they do the same thing with the the clock tower 
and everything in, in this. Is that what's behind you? Yeah. Look at that. Hey. Under construction. <laughs> I love um, the little details like that. Yeah. And it's, I just appreciate that just as it gives the whole movie a way bigger scope. Um, the Twin Pines fun. Mall as opposed to the Lone Pine Mall. Yeah, I didn't right. realize that until we watched this year. Because he right. crashes in the first movie into one of the trees. Mm -hmm. Just all the, the little things like that. But this is like, it, it starts off, um, you know, the first movie suddenly his house isn't there. And then in the second movie, it's a different timeline. And then all of a sudden you have, there's barely a town right now like it's it definitely nails in the the wild west aspect like it's dead wood with a clock tower mm -hmm. um and i do like that they never really explain why but like the tannins and mcflies have just been there since 1885 so this really right. is the linchpin year for the town and they have a few too they're like the hatfields and mccoys right right say it's the hatfields and mccoys yeah and there's got to be something to this time, like the aura around the traveling. What are the chances that Doc Brown meets Marty McFly, one of the ancestors? I mean, they're a big family in town, apparently, but that he has to go help them and the two families are the whole line. So just to help the town work, Doc Brown has to follow the lineage back. You know, like it's, if he meets the wrong kid to help him with his experiments, maybe none of this happens. Maybe they're not as empathetic and want to save him from the terrorists or yeah. whatnot. So yeah, yeah. I mean, to to say nothing of like when Doc goes back, you know, who he could have accidentally talked to or something. Like nothing changes in 1955, <clears throat> so you don't know. Like, I guess he he didn't fuck up the timeline enough um where he was super and, careful or maybe time is a circle who knows i mean they never bring this up but they never try to like prevent jfk's death or uh like oh. doc could have invented penicillin penicillin 20 years earlier or something yeah so. Well, he, well the whole well they already established you can't you can't screw with the timeline right so he, like he wouldn't do right, that but, but his his being there mm -hmm. is over like and setting up a business so really what it is is like he can't screw with his timeline yeah his existence cannot be compromised everybody mm -hmm. else just it's whatever yeah. it's honestly a good thing they don't kill mad dog tannin because nothing would happen then you'll be funny if, if biff's not there to bully well, uh, if he's not Robert, there to be the coil right yeah, yeah they are yeah. In, intertwined like uh, it'd be funny, like uh, or interesting to have a take. Like if you expand out of Marty's, like you know, uh, social uh, network, so to speak, when he was growing up. Like who are his friends? Like what if what 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 would have happened if like there was like something they screwed up and he just doesn't remember that like because uh, he erased them. Yeah. Uh, that like Ooh. friend like friends that he had as kids they just don't exist anymore. And just like, like he comes back. And the Mandela like, effect. Yeah, what if what if he was friends with Biff too before all this happened? But him going back in time makes the Tannins bullies. Yeah. You know, or like, uh, yeah. What, what if there's like a crap ton of people like uh, in each timeline that he knew and like they just don't exist anymore? And all all that matters is just like uh, Doc Brown and him and like yeah. uh, their extent, like their immediate like uh, uh, 
loved ones. Yeah, no more Billy Zane. Uh, speaking of Biff and Buford and all the Tannins, can we talk about how good Thomas Wilson is in these? Oh seasons? my God, he's a gem. A Why he gem. wasn't a bigger actor after yeah. this, like a Billy Zabka type? Yeah, you understand. He should get a, a show like Cobra Kai to like revitalize his career. He's what if they did it from Biff's point of view, like a like, like Back a, to the Future, like Cobra Kai? Yeah, like the um, the yeah. big bad wolf asking for sugar from the three little pigs. Just wanted some sugar. I didn't mean to eat you. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of trope. That'd be good. yeah, that'd be a good Back to the Future four. Hmm. Biff's Biff's story. Yeah. Yeah, he could have been a great character actor, but for some reason, I don't know what happened after these Back to the Future movies, but he kind of went on either hiatus or dormancy, and I don't remember seeing him again until The Informant. Oh, he's in The Informant? Nice. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I didn't remember him in that. Who is he in that? He's one of uh, Matt Damon's co workers. Okay. He might be his yeah. boss, actually. I can see that. Yeah. yeah he's got more gray hair now, I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I well, he was also like, he was a um, traveling musician and comedian for a while. He had a song where he sings about like all the questions that people ask him about Back to the Future. Don't mm -hmm. stop asking me the question. <laughs> and it's great. Like he he definitely embodied the fame that he got from these movies, but. I feel like he was probably trying to do more low-key stuff for a while. Um, he was also heavily religious too, I believe. Oh, so he kind of like yeah. not that, that really has anything to do with his career, but it's. Well, I it's wonder. I wonder fact. if he's gonna get typecast as a bully after a while. And yeah, I can. He turned stuff down at first, and then was just happy to go on the road for a little while, and then just ended up that way. Yeah. He seems satisfied with what he's done. So the good thing in each one of the movies is he's both the laughing stock, but he's also intimidating at the same time. Never once do you not believe that he's a threat. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like in the third one, it's definitely like it's the most characterized. Mm -hmm. um, and it I, I don't know, it was it was really it was a performance way more than like because Biff when he, when he's playing Biff in the first movie it's just him with like a little bit of old makeup but he's just still being like the same high school bully mm -hmm. but this one like he had to adapt a whole different persona a couple of them because he's the old man in the second one obviously that's not in the third but he's the Trump-esque version of himself he is that older bully from the first movie and then Buford. Whoa. I think Buford's Hold his up. best version. I think uh, you have it backwards. Trump is Biff-esque. Wow. I like at the end of the first movie when he's like the sycophant of George. <laughs> he's like, hey, your novel just came. I would love to see more of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he's like pulling off five different characters in this trilogy. And it's yeah. not a one is a sour note. So. The only person who doesn't really get to uh, take on different personas throughout all the movies is Christopher Lloyd. True. He's kind of the same throughout all three. 
Dr. Well, that's Brown. why his origin, you never get to know what happened to his parents or the house that burned down. So I'm pretty sure he burned it down for insurance money. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think he's able to fund his experiments? That's were his parents. That's the real question. I know they, they mentioned he's like a von Braun or something. That's where they came over from Europe. But they don't go into like, did Seamus have a contemporary Brown? I would like to see him time travel to different continents. That would yeah. be interesting. Do they do that in the animated series at all? Or is it always California? I'm pretty sure they do it. I haven't seen the animated series in 20 years, so. Yeah. Um, I believe they go not just in California. Okay. Yeah. I gotta, the thing I is, with, the, with that time machine, like, it doesn't go through space. It only goes through time. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is why the whole thing with the train at the end of the movie where they have to like you're not thinking fourth dimensionally, you know, it's it's yeah. so it can't they would have to like take the drive the time machine somewhere else. Right. In order for that to work. So they kind of probably buzz over that in the animated series. Yeah, of course. Because they're like kids are gonna be watching this, no one cares. Yeah. Nobody has to worry about, you know, real science. Yeah. Right. But then you have like (laughs) everyone analyzing it now and everyone's talking like all these teeny tiny loopholes. How did Biff, how did old Biff know how to drive the time machine? How did I know? I'm reading the uh, trivia about all this and someone did the math to figure out how long they actually traveled through the trilogy. And it's like when Marty comes back to 1985, he's 17 days older than he's supposed to be or something like that i'm i'm not getting exact and jennifer is actually two hours younger than when she started <laughs> so like see i love that on. like i i used to draw flow charts about like trying to calculate how many time machines were in existence at any given time they do have a point there's like a few minutes at the beginning of this film where there are four deloreans at the same time Mm-hmm. somewhere i forget exactly where it's much more coherent of a timeline than trying to follow the terminator one. Oh yeah well yeah. especially by now you know what's a weird yeah. thought i just had just now yeah like i don't know why i just thought this but like um mm-hmm. in in physics like you cannot create nor destroy like uh energy or matter mm-hmm. but like uh um marty he comes from the future to the past like he brings himself and takes himself back, but like you know, yeah. in his lungs he has oxygen particles from he, 1885. Yeah, and then yeah. also like if he ate something or drank something and had to uh, you know take a dump or piss, he just he dumped and pissed. He dumped and pissed foreign particles or things that like so like there's there's he pooped 2020 or 20, 2015 uh, drink and didn't he, didn't he eat something in the future? Yeah, so like <laughs> and then, he he and then he's goes, also like. like not, not only with the timeline but like just like the uh fabric ecosystem of, the fabric of time and space and like the universe period like he in, like there there's there's part like there's particles existing like you know how, like, you, can't, you can't interact with yourself right uh technically his shit is back in 18 yeah but like that that shit is going to go into the uh environment and circulate what if that shit like those shit particles, like right down to the very atom, touches another atom, sets off like a chain reaction, and like <laughs> destroys the universe. 
Because like, it, like it's just a minuscule little particle that all it takes is just like another interaction of the same thing. Like they're just from two different, like, you know. Or he holds it in for two weeks. Yeah, I mean like, um, or that. <laughs> but like, God, Jennifer didn't get the memo though. <laughs> So, so, oh, so there's, a tick, there's a ticking time bomb in this universe. <laughs> like, what if somebody like what Demarcus, if, like, don't steal this idea? Okay. Oh, I oh, hate the newer. What if what if like that 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 poo particle like bi like biodegrades goes into a plant and it becomes part of that plant and somebody uh, goes to the grocery store gets a vegetable and that particle is in them now but then they have another particle that 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 same particle like from that timeline. And they're digesting, digesting, and then all of a sudden they make that connection, and then a big white flash, and they, that's the end of so, the time. So time it's the story period. from the manure's point of view. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, okay. This was not a tangent I thought we'd go. <laughs> oh no! This is. I mean, right there in my head, I'm like, why have I never thought of that? James it. just just opened a an entirely new branch of. And then, oh, scatological the timeline. <laughs> the very fact that, like, uh, technically speaking, the you that are—that's you now—is not really the you that you'll ever be, like, in any separate like uh, timeline, yeah. because like, like your whole body processes through all these like atoms and uh, molecules, and like it, it's like it's constantly breaking down and building itself up. That's like why we yeah. age and die, because like we're just and going, we're going through life. And like how As we change think. every seven years. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So like you're not the same person that you were. Yeah. Uh, despite like, you, you know, despite the fact that you're already growing as a person, but like every everything in you right now will not be the same part. Of, won't be part of you years down the line. Yeah. So like uh, those few days or weeks that he's time traveling, he's also shedding. Yeah. Himself essentially, yeah. like his skin. Uh, Leaving his DNA yeah, everywhere. Like, pretty much, like he's just like he just like he. He's like a like a, a European settler come to the new uh, new world and just like here you go here's my diseases but now it's wow. it's atoms and yeah, molecules and electrons and protons so like he he I guess he might have set off a time bomb I guess that's why they cover it by having it in a family because then you have his ancestors who have similar DNA so that it wouldn't make it too off yeah. I don't know but like all right. I, 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 I want to actually talk to a physicist about this, and like, what, what, like, would would there be like, is 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 that just a, like one? Like, that's like a one in like I don't know a hundred trillion chance or so. I don't know the math on this, but like, what are the chances that the world's just gonna end in like in that one, one of the multiverse? Yeah. It did I guess? Um, Let's get Neil deGrasse Tyson on here. Yeah. So he can debate Jimmy. Well, not about shit thing. particles. I want to know. <laughs> like, what, what do I got wrong? What is just me and my brain just going, wow. Yeah. All right, why don't we do some final thoughts? That was that was an incredible tangent. God, I'm sorry. It's like, I had, to, uh, I had I had to get it out. Um, just like I'm stamped out. In the past. <laughs> um, I was going to say, the box office did all right. Uh, they made 23 million their first weekend, which is admirable enough in 1990. Uh, I got number one. Everything from now on pretty much takes over the box office, the number one film of the week. Um, this opened, and this is why we had uh, Jeff lead us off on May 25th, 1990, which was his second birthday, right? 
Yeah. Yes, that was my second birthday. Which I was too young also, to understand what was going on. Which also happens to be Bob Gale's birthday. So it came out on his 37th wow. birthday. Or no, 39th. He is, he was 37 when you were born. That's what I I wrote in my notes. My so. favorite things is that I I share I share a birthday with Bob Gale. <laughs> yeah. um, it ended up getting 87.6 total uh, domestic. So it did it did all right. It's the only one not to cross 100 million, but it made its money back for sure because they did the two together. And it's, I think, grown in esteem over the years. So I think it did fine. But uh, you guys have any other thoughts? No, I'm. Just, I'm gonna spill. I'm gonna still be stewing on this for a while. What I just. You're gonna let it percolate. Yeah, I'm gonna let it. Uh, I'm just like. I'm gonna let it particulate. I feel like uh, in the in intervening years, it's a movie I've grown to appreciate a lot more, because mm -hmm. I was. It was always the weak link in the trilogy, like I said. But I think it's. Uh, it's good capstone to the trilogy, and. Like we were saying, we couldn't really think. Of any proper ideas for part four so this ties everything together in a perfect loop um i do like the western aspect of it too i yeah. i think i liked this more and still do than two because i like westerns but i kind of think of the two together as one big film just like they made it <clears throat> yeah it, it holds up as a western and a time travel movie Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's, I don't know. I, I've, I used to hate this one because I wasn't a fan of Westerns when I was younger. Um, nor did I like appreciate all the little nuances of, of the timelines and everything. But like, it's actually, uh, I like it better than two now. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, the first one will always be the Holy Grail. Like that's, untouchable but this okay. one is like a very it's very close uh in my mind and just the way that they tied everything together the way that they told a whole story that didn't necessarily affect everyone's timeline like they they kind of actually threw that rule to the wind for a bit they're like we're not gonna worry too much about fucking up the future timelines right now and we're just gonna try to get them out of this. Um, but yeah, although I, I still like, every time I, I cross over train tracks, I'm always wondering if there's gonna be those flashes. That's cute, I like yeah. that. Um, so why don't we go into the other films in 1990, or May 1990. Uh, do you want to go through them, Corey, or do you want us to try and do our uh, poster boy first? Let's do poster boy first. Sure. Let me see if I can uh, share my screen. There we go. So why don't you uh, describe what is happening in this poster, <clears throat> this film that came out in the beginning of the month as compared to the end. So it was still around okay uh, a little bit but not really uh as successful obviously all right all right all right, all right. so <clears throat> we've got a gentleman hanging upside down uh next to a skyscraper 
Uh, looks like his foot is tangled in some sort of scaffolding. Um, behind him is a helicopter with some dude peeking out, just kind of watching what's going on, making sure this guy's hanging or whatever. Uh, there's <laughs> a clock in the middle of the title. Um, oh, it might give it away. Out. And I don't know, this looks like some sort of can you Almost tell who like, that actor is I'm upside getting, down? I'm getting I, real Spider-Man 2002 vibes from this. That, I don't know if you know who that is, but do you remember Boardwalk Empire? Dabney Coleman was the, uh, I forget what his name was, but he was kind of like the boss to Steve Buscemi's character. He, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He ran Atlantic City, he, mm. but he was dying. He was on his way out. Yeah. So yeah, Dabney Coleman that, was a like character actor around then. Okay. I'm not, yeah, I can't really. Yeah, you can't really tell here that they can see him. Face. But you can tell uh, from that mustache. Yeah. Man in a mustache. He's Super Mario. He's Super Mario Brothers, That's right? Three more years. Uh, right, exactly. One. He's just we'll one guy in a bad situation. <laughs> just one guy. Right. One guy right, trying right. to make the best of a bad situation. Okay, so. Do you want the tagline? Uh, Sure, give me the tagline. Getting killed isn't as easy as it looks. Okay. Okay. So, I'm guessing <laughs> this movie's about some guy that's trying to get, like, he's got a real good life insurance policy, but he's not. It's He's like a Leslie Nielsen type character where he's just like, it's it's almost like Mr. Magoo, but with insurance money. Like he's he's trying to. No, he's trying. Also, to... I feel like he's also trying to escape the mob. Like that's kind of what this this feels like. Oh, also the helicopter behind him is a police helicopter. So. Oh, look at that! I never. I didn't notice that. Oh, that's good detail. So, I don't know if if they're if they're like uh, if they're like chasing a lot of the 90s, like a lot of cop movies. Oh, there's cop movies all over there. Yeah, that got big in the 80s and 90s, probably because of like Die Hard. And, oh, yeah, true. I mean, they're it's always better. around. French Connection. So. Yeah. I feel like this is like a spoof of Die Hard. Like if he's... I didn't mean to bring you down that lane. <laughs> no, no, that's that's fine. Uh, how, how was he doing? Because I don't know exactly what this is about. Uh, the, life, the life insurance policy is right on the money. That's all I knew about it. Okay, um, but is is he one of the police? Or are the police chasing him? He's one of the police. Oh, he is. Okay, I didn't know that. All right, so he's an undercover cop trying to get life insurance money, but he can't. He's too good at his job, so he can't get killed. I don't know. He's not. He's not too far off. So should I? You want to guess uh, the title? Yeah, let's try to guess the title. Uh, time to kill. Time to die. <laughs> time to kill. This is the John Grisham uh, early almost, version. Right. Uh, <clears throat> almost. No, not not quite dead. I don't know. Um, hang on. <laughs> Think about that clock. Hanging by a moment. I know. I'm thinking of the clock. High noon. Thin blue line. Um, 
Yeah. Errol Morris. High, high noon. The clock could be representing a certain letter that I didn't think about when I fuzzed out the name. Uh, 12.30. Uh, okay, so it's... So maybe it's an O. Uh, <laughs> cop time. <laughs> oh, oh. I got one of the words. <laughs> Overtime. Um, Not bad. Guess yeah. Yeah, Overtime isn't that bad a name. Yeah. All right. I'm. I'll. Here we go. Go when I try. There we go. Short time. Aww. Yep. Because you're short on time. And the reason okay. I fuzzed at the top, it gives you the plot. And I think you've guessed enough with the, uh, you pretty much got the insurance issue. Okay. Yeah. But it gives it all away on the poster. Yeah. Detective so, Bert Simpson uh, thinks he's getting Bert Simpson. Yep. <laughs> really? Detective yep. Bert Simpson thinks he's got two weeks to live. But if he can get killed in the line of duty, his family will be set for life. Thank God. Funny I didn't realize he was a cop because I didn't read that as I was erasing it. Um, so how close was he, Corey? I mean, he got the life insurance part and he actually, I wouldn't even have picked out that that was a police helicopter, but you can see it says police between his legs. But um, yeah, Dabney Coleman plays a police officer. He's given a diagnosis of having two weeks left to live. I forget. It might be a brain thing. I forget exactly, but um his son is still pretty young so they want to have enough money for him to go to college eventually so he thinks this life insurance policy will maybe be able to subsidize that but his pension's not going to cover it he's about to retire so he's got to get killed in the line of duty in order to fund that okay yeah so um, i mean it the movie itself is pretty saccharine not that funny but it had some oh. really amazing car stunts okay so if you're going to a movie like this for the second unit stuff then you'll be happy but aside from that it's pretty forgettable yeah i wonder if it's on anything right now it um sounds like it's worthwhile at least but i don't know Good job, Jeff. That's I'd say you have two or five so far. I'm gonna give this one to you. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, also, so wait, why do I see Michael Bolton's name in the credits? How was it? Let me look myself. That's a guy from Office Space. Is it? It's not. Oh, the same you didn't Michael. notice. The other actors are uh, Matt Frewer, who was the um, Max Headroom. Max Headroom. Yeah. yeah. Terry Gar, Barry Corbin, and Joe Pantoliano. Joey Pants. Yeah. It says executive producer Michael Bolton. I think it's a different one. Yeah, it's a different one. No, I'm just going to head kind of like Michael Bolton, the musician, was an executive producer <laughs> on this movie. I'm going to look that up as you start to discuss the other films. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, some of the other movies that came out this month were uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, which is a spinoff of a uh, anthology series started by George A. Romero. And it's got uh, three interconnecting stories, one of which is actually written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle um, yeah. about, a, about a mummy that's resurrected. Yeah, actually, people might know because it was kind of a launch pad for a lot of recognizable stars now. Christian Slater's in it. 
Um, Steve Buscemi's in it, Julianne Moore, and that's just in the Mummy segment. In some of the other segments, there's uh, James Remar, who you and I met, and um, Debbie Harry, uh, Ray Don Chong, who's in another movie this month. Might as well jump to that. Uh, Far Out Man, which was the directorial debut of Tommy Chong, and probably one of the worst comedies I've ever seen in my entire life. That's saying a lot. Yeah. It's a uh, pure nepotism. It has Ray Dawn, which is his daughter, his wife, his son. He's in it. Uh, Cheech has a cameo. And I couldn't really tell you the plot because there's not much of one. But that he's playing basically the same alter ego that he plays in all the Cheech and Chong movies, which is an aging hippie. And he goes on a cross-country journey. Hmm. And the extent of the jokes are... Martin Mull plays a doctor named Little Dick. And so he constantly is mispronouncing it. And that's one of the jokes in the movie. We'll move on. Yeah. Uh, there's this movie called The Big Bang, which is a documentary by James Tobeck, where he's uh, he interviews people from all walks of life, getting their philosophies on life, death, love, sex. Um, it's pretty good. It's uh, it almost kind of reminds me of like some of the more experimental like Link Later movies, like Waking Life and stuff like that. It's not bad. I recently watched it for this specifically, but it's pretty good. He got a little notorious. Well, that's later in the decade. We're talking about when he had a clean slate right now. Maybe. <clears throat> um, and a sequel to a uh, Michael J. Fox film, uh, Class of 1999 which is a sequel to Class of 1984. Uh, there's really no connective plot tissue between the two, except that they're both directed by Mark L. Lester and they're both set in schools. This one is set in a school that's being reconnoitered by these uh, cyborg teachers. Oh, God. What? And it, it sounds really schlocky and it should be fun, but it's actually kind of a drag. Um, the teachers actually are... Uh, Played by Pam Greer, Stacy Keach, and Robert Ryan. So, uh, there's a <clears throat> Bird on the Wire, which is a uh, action comedy romance with Mel Gibson and Goldie Hawn, directed by uh, John Baden, and it's got some really offensive homosexual stereotypes in it. The action's pretty lackluster. The comedy's lame. It's probably one of the worst Mel Gibson movies. This month isn't very good. uh, I'm just letting people know that. We mentioned mentioned this earlier in our uh, series because he took over the number one spot from, I think, Pretty Woman or I think Pretty Woman. Maybe TMNT. I don't remember. Yeah. It was the one from the beginning of May that kind of ends that run of the three big ones from March. It's aggressively mediocre. Um, then we have uh, Cadillac Man, which I remember watching a lot when I was a kid. Uh, it's actually Robin Williams plays this uh, car salesman who ends up in a hostage situation with Tim Robbins, and all of his um, philandering comes to fruition as this uh, hostage situation is playing out. It's it's not great in terms of Robin Williams' vehicles. It's on the lesser end like with sur- the survivors and stuff like that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this as well, and because uh, Judith Haig was filming this at the same time she was doing Turtles. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then we have By Dawn's Early Light, which is actually an HBO original movie. It has a pretty good concept. I've never seen it, but it's about uh, what could have been a World War III after the end of the Cold War. And actually has a pretty good cast. It's got James Earl Jones and Powers Booth and some other people. So I might eventually end up checking that out. And then uh, Firebirds, which is a uh, kind of a Top Gun knockoff with my favorite actor, Nicolas Cage and Tommy Lee Jones. And the love interest is Sean Young. Oh. uh, It's very jingoistic. I did not see this. I meant to watch this before the podcast. um, But from what I can gather from the reviews, it was not well regarded at all. Yeah, I'm curious about it now because I hear it's harder to find now. That's why we never really hear about it because it kind of. I think it recently just got a Blu-ray release, but okay. It's in terms of movies from that era, in terms of Nicolas Cage, like Birdie and stuff like that, were got more positive reviews and are more widely known. Mm -hmm. Do we want to go through picks of the month? Do we have anything this month? Sure. I uh, I saw Borat's subsequent movie film. And oh uh, it's not as fresh as the first one. Obviously, how could it be? Because at this point, even within the plot of the movie, Borat has to go under disguise because that movie was a huge sleeper hit at the time. And everybody knows that character by now. But mm-hmm. uh, it does have some genuinely jaw-dropping moments towards the last 10 minutes and it's funny throughout i'm not just saying that you have to wait there's not like a drought of laughs but uh for a belated sequel a belated comedy sequel it's pretty good hmm. maybe i will actually check it out then mm-hmm. i i wasn't i was hearing some tepid reviews so uh, um i actually had checked out a couple films from a local film festivals, because I, I went the last few years to the Montclair Film Festival, so I felt like I should get a couple virtually this year, and it was actually kind of easy to access. So I got um, Minari, which was the big winner at Sundance, but I also just decided to check out a couple smaller films that I probably never would have otherwise. And the best of the ones I got was this film called White Lie, where this girl who's in school um, has a GoFundMe to help pay for her cancer treatment. And we pretty quickly learn that she's definitely faking it. And she's starting to spiral with all the lies she's developed. And she has to like come up with pills that she's taking. And then eventually she's trying to get a scholarship somewhere. And the bursar needs her to prove she has cancer, so she needs the medical records and she has to fabricate them and everything just starts to spiral out of control. And it's a pretty Canadian uh, film. It's this newcomer that's uh, just immediately captivating in how she can manipulate you to feel bad for her despite her being or doing something so terrible. So it's I'd definitely say to check it out. It's, it's probably harder to find because it's all these films coming out this year not really coming out after they're in festivals so hopefully it'll find a way to get on vod soon but uh, 
Oh yeah, no, like uh, I don't know what. Just started watching uh, uh, what we do in the dark. What we do in the shadows. Oh, what we do in the shadows. Wow, I I yeah. always screw up that title. I don't know why. Uh, this uh, TV series. Yeah, yeah. Based Have you seen the movie? Oh yeah, no, I love the movie. We do. The movie's great. Uh, it's fantastic. It's like uh, it's like um. And like sometimes I'm not too uh, fond of um, TV show adaptations of uh, decent movies because sometimes they're just kind of they're just um, poor imitations. But this one, Ratchet. This one's, yeah, this one's a this one's hitting its mark. Like, uh, yeah, these characters, like the vampires, are very like similar and like because of the comedy uh, to the original characters from the movies. But they they ha- seem to have their own distinct like you know characteristics i actually uh, appreciate that when it was announced i was kind of like i would have rather seen jermaine clement especially him having done so well with flight of the concords but him producing it they have the same style it's just different people yeah like now they're in staten island instead of wherever they were before. new zealand yeah so so yeah now it's like uh it's they're they're as characters they're familiar but like they're their own thing and they have their own interaction and i think that's like that's a key thing like the uh that like they're not repeating the uh, the uh, the dynamic between the characters, yeah. Because uh, like no matter what, like uh, you're in, in in movies and television, like uh, you're always reinventing the wheel, and like the there's only so much you could do with the wheel. So what what you have to do to make it like interesting and dynamic is how the characters interact with each other. Yeah. So that's uh, a credit to the actors. Yeah. So so this they're is, originally going to do a uh, movie sequel about the werewolves. Which yeah. I would have loved. The, the third episode covers them a bit, so they'll oh. be interacting. I think. Or interacting. Is Reese Darby in it? No, because obviously it's in a different location. But <sighs> I, I feel like I heard something about maybe some of these characters could show up if they haven't already in the first two seasons. We've only watched the first few, so right. We'll see. I know there's some big cameos towards the end of the season that aren't those people, but we'll see. Right. So. Um, I've been watching Halt and Catch Fire. Oh, on which was an AMC series uh, following this uh, fictional software company that's trying to cash in on the um, the PC market in the eighties, going up against Apple and um, Xerox and all them. So it's uh, it's a drama. Uh, it's really good. I'm into season two or three now, um, but it's it's very well done. Uh, the characters are all really good, um, and it's it's got some. It's interesting to see like how they interact with the uh, the actual companies of the day um so it's definitely worth a watch is it kind of like mad men what's that is it kind of like mad men in the 80s yeah basically it's like mad men but with computers in the 80s cool it's it's pretty much the same same type all right yeah Uh, well We'd like to thank you for listening to our uh, discussion of Back to the Future Part Three. Uh, all of our, all of us would agree that it's probably one of the easiest trilogies to name as one of the best. I don't know why I said it that way, but uh, the um, 
next month we're probably going to do uh, a comic book adaptation again uh technically a comic uh dick tracy and uh we might talk about a few other films that were pretty big that month because this is the start of the summer season so uh blockbusters were getting to control the market so um hopefully you tune in next time and uh again thanks for listening remember to uh rate and subscribe um check out both the video if you're listening to the podcast or listen again if you've already watched the video uh, you can follow us all on twitter at different places i'm at interjected uh, this is at podcast jections all right hopefully you've uh enjoyed what we've been doing continue on this undiscovered decade Okay, all right. Because I think Slipknot all the time.